0: Colorado Festival of Horror, Smurf here. 5280 geek. Let's start it off with one of the bigs, heaviest, most lovable people I've ever met. Mr. Kirk Thatcher. Is that a fat joke?
1: <laughs> one of the big? <laughs> heaviest? Wow. I was, way to I was start.
0: like referring to you as like a head. Wow. Hitter. All, right, ah, it's huge all right. I need to lose weight.
1: career. You're very kind. Thank not you. I have huge love for your career. It's kind of a crazy career. When I look at my career, people go, all oh, the things you've done, I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, because I'm just in the now, right? Right. It seems like a crazy career. Yeah, because like hindsight being what it is. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it's got to be... Perfect in my case. In your case. Yeah, I mean, It was lawless. Yeah. It's lawless. Actually, like, it's forty forty. So you can see in double, the future. Double <laughs> hindsight. I could see before I was born. I mean, I use television oh. and movies, but yeah. So... This is not going to be a very... New, new age. <laughs> So,
0: for the the viewers in the millions around the world, you are Kirk Thatcher. I still am, yes. And that hasn't changed. No one is taking it, and nope. no one else is claiming it. I was born it. that way, and I'm sticking with it. And you have one of the most prolific careers. All you have to do is just say Muppets, and that would be, like, <laughs> that would be a, lot. a benchmark for pretty much anyone. But it doesn't stop at Muppets. We have Star Trek. We have uh, uh, Werewolf by Night. We have... So many others. Picard.
1: Picard. We have, jeez, uh, even I forget stuff I worked on. Gremlins. Gremlins. Gremlins too. A little bit of ET. A tiny bit on ET. Uh, Did you run return the head? of the Jedi? You forgot. I even forgot Jedi. Well, I was working the, up the towards big the big the fat one. I'm
0: <laughs> the heaviest. The fat one.
1: I'm a fat shame.
0: Head. This entire yeah, the whole deal. Yeah. I'm more of an Empire guy personally.
1: I like Empire Strikes Back. I'm out. <laughs> Okay, well, I love, okay, for me, and again, it was an age thing. Star Wars yes. hit me at 14, 14, 15, and it was the best movie ever made. A life changer. Yes. And then Empire was like, it didn't have an ending. I was angry. I was like, what? No, no, no. Holy it's Grail. It's a well made movie. Holy
0: Grail doesn't have an ending. Yeah, but ending. it's a
1: comedy you don't care. Holy Grail is like, what happened to King Arthur? <laughs> the, the Empire's like, and they go off and they're standing in a big window. I was like, roll credits. You're like, wait, what? I, it pissed me off. What, what, what? It's a well made movie, but. I will say okay. I will argue till the death mm. of one of us. Live. Um, that Star Wars A created an entire genre. Yes. B had a much better lived-in universe than Empire. Empire was super slick, A to Z, boom, boom, boom. Star Wars had these rough edges with like little weird shits with Jawas and the robots and the and the you know like, oh this is a lived-in universe. That's what I loved so much about it. It was not Sterile, and then Empire, because it was such a streamlined story, didn't have the, the i mean you had Ughnots and, and a couple little things, but they were just sort of like, "Oh you know, we just need someone to do this, so let's make it weird little Ughnots i mean it had Yoda had which Yoda was great, but again, it didn 't have an ending, so I think it's a great movie, but I can't say it 's better than Star. well, and to be fair, the Millennium Falcon is more of a character. In yeah. Empire, that's true.
0: Than I think and, any of the other films. And
1: uh, Billy Dee Williams is amazing.
0: Well, I mean, can you imagine someone other than him playing Lando Calrissian? No, but I love the guy who played uh, Young played Lando. A, yeah, Young Lando. Uh, I want to see that movie. So it's you been get fun. S- you get
1: a Jedi, the uh, Return of the Jedi, my first movie. Yeah, nineteen. At 19? I got the job I got the job when I was 18 and my, had my birthday between getting hired and moving up to Marin County, which was like a month and a half, like six or eight weeks. So, yeah, I got it at See, 18. See, dreams do come true to people. Right place, right time. Uh, I knew what I wanted to do when I was... A lot of people are like, how did you get that? And I just knew what I wanted to do since I was like 10 to 12. I mean, I knew I wanted to make movies like Ray Harryhausen movies, like Jason yeah. the Argonauts or... Uh, this is before Star Wars. Um... It was, like, the pinnacle
0: and... of, like, special effects and all of that to see, like, the claymation and the creatures and how oh, yeah. everybody interacted and all of that. So I could see that, yeah. So that I was actually,
1: like, I want to like, make movies like that. Yeah. And I, I was more on the art side. I wasn't, at that point, I didn't consider myself a writer. Um, I was like, I want to be spe- I mean, special effects. I want to make creatures, which was kind of the most tangible thing you could design and build at home right. and make little movies with them. So I just started doing that at, like, 10 or 12. So, by the time Star Wars came out, this is where the, um, it's Okay, that was not me. That, just yeah. i <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> um, I had learned how to, I taught myself how to, well, draw. I mean, all self-taught, because there was no schools or anything, and there was no, no even books on it. Uh, and sculpt and paint, and kind of do all the things to make a creature, and make a little, and I had a little Super 8 movie camera. And the movie came out, and my mom came home from church, you know, like, a month after it came out and said, oh, you know, I was a Star Wars nut. I'd bought every book and everything you could find. And she said, I met a lady who, whose son worked on Star Wars at church day." I was like, wait, wait okay, who, What who, do you know his name? She's like, I think it's Joe Joseph. And I'm like, what's his last name? It's not Johnston. She's like, yes, Joseph, Joe Johnston. I'm like, wait, wait, what? I have his books. And so to condense the story, I got to meet Joe. He was super kind. He gave me a tour of ILM. At that time, which was doing Galactica, right? But they had a bunch of old Star Wars. There was still like the Death Star trench in the parking lot, just hanging. And here's what's crazy: it was a mile, one point two miles from my house. That's where that's that's where I was like, you know, it's just fortune favors the prepared, but also it was just luck. I happened to grow up in Van Nuys, where that's where they made where the wind blew. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought this is amazing. I'm going to work there every summer for free and sweep floors. And of course, so this was that summer, I guess, around that summer after Star Wars came out, so it was summer 77. Right. And they were doing Galactica, and I was just starting high school. So I said, this is great, You know, well, tell me what to work on, so next summer, and he goes, well, you know, keep drawing, keep painting, doing what you're doing, and uh, you know, I was making models, kind of doing a little bit of everything. And uh, of course, then that year they moved to Marin County. I was devastated, so I kept in touch with Joe just by phone calls like once or twice a year, there was no email or anything. And uh, just kind of followed, and then uh, I remember Empire came out. My senior year of high school, I slept over on the on the street, you know, with a bunch of other nerds to, to see Empire. And then graduated high school, and then went up to Marin County to visit the new ILM, which was had been there for I think at that point just two a couple three years. years mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Joe was very kind to my brother and I, and our next door neighbors are our best friends. There's about six of us. Uh, gave us a tour of ILM, and I remember just the model shop. Sorry, not the model shop. The model storage room was like a very big walk-in closet. And the Millennium, the the six-foot Millennium Falcon was there with the Star Destroyer, with everything. Everything from Star Wars and Empire. And he gave us a little tour, and we got to kind of, you know, just look at everything. Don't touch. And you're like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this is amazing. And then we went upstairs to the Rubber Room, what they called the Rubber Room, which all the creatures were made. And they were working on Dragon Slayer. Good movie. Raiders of the Lost Ark. So uh, I was like, I, I made this creature for a monster movie I made in high school, this big, fat, like, gorgon demon thing. And uh, being a weird kid and a nerd, I was like, I made this. <laughs> He's like, oh, Okay. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I don't know what I, to do. And with I bring this, this in tribute, <laughs> and he said, "Great, you know, we'll, we'll stick it on the wall in the rubber room." And I'm like, "Okay." And I was just like, "Here's a portfolio piece that yeah. I didn't think I don't. I'm terrible at marketing, so it wasn't like here's something that they'll remember me by. I was just like I made you. Well, you and, know. and to be fair, there was nothing out there to teach you differently. Right, right. So, right, it's true. Um, and my mom's like, you know, I show up with candy or flowers or a rubber monster if you're going to ILM. So I gave that to him and, uh, we finished the tour and, you know, thanked him profusely and then went and started UCLA and I wanted to be a film major. And they go, well, you can't even touch a camera for two more years. I'm like, I've been playing with cameras since I was like, oh, now I can work with 16 millimeter and Nope, you have to take all your, you know, bonehead English and all that. I was like, this sucks. So I did one semester at UCLA and then called Joe up and I said, uh, hey, college sucks because I can't do anything. I can't actually learn filmmaking at UCLA for two more years. Is there any chance I could come up? I know you guys are going to start on a new Star Wars movie because it had been announced. They're working on right. the third one. Is there any, I'll come up and you know work for free. I'll figure out how to make it work. But is there any chance I could get a job you know, making coffee and sweeping floors? He goes, who told you? I said, who told me what? <laughs> I still remember like that's a moment, like a little movie clip when you die. This will be one of the gifts that moves uh-huh. through my head. Who told me what? Um who, who told you? I just I put your name on a list yesterday for people they should contact. George wants to do a creature shop in Marin because he wants it here because Stuart Freeborn shop's too far away and George doesn't want to live in England. Um and I gave him your name to people to interview for I'm like, wait, what? He goes, No one told you? I'm like, No, I just felt like I heard the news and I and he goes, No one told you. I go, Joe, you're the only person I know what I would have told me. So I got my portfolio together and a couple of creatures and things I made and drove up and had an interview. Well, it was like a week later or something, a couple weeks later. And I interviewed with Chris Wayless and Ken Ralston. And Ken is an unsung, Ken is a deep cut. You have to be a big effects nerd or movie to nerd. Ken's amazing. He's probably, and I, I say this with utmost, utmost respect for everyone else at ILM the most talented guy at that time. He maybe be in Dennis Murin, but c- Ken could write, act, direct, film, sculpt, paint, build. Matt, I mean, he was one of those, he's literally a genius, like right. a, probably an IQ of 180. Uh, and cynical as F, as they say. <laughs> and Chris Waylis, so, and Chris Waylis had just done um, like Piranha, he hadn't done his big movies yet. He'd done yeah. Galaxina and Piranha, and he was working on Dragon Slayer and um, because his uh, his breakout Raiders. is as dra- Dragon Slayer, right? Yeah, and then Gremlins, he did. That was his big. But uh, so yeah, and he was working that. So they showed me the the dragon head. They showed me these crazy heads from Raiders. I'm like, what is this movie Raiders? Why do people's heads melt? He's like, we can't tell you. So it's a bad uh, hair day. <laughs> so they gave me a tour, and they said and they showed me. I showed them my stuff, and I can make a mold. I can paint latex. I make my own paints, and and so they're like fine, fine. And they took me to lunch, and they went. This is Chris Wayless, too. Are you an idiot? I'm like, what? You don't. You can go to college. You can get a college education, and you're going to throw that away to work on here, work here. I'm like, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought they were joking, right? Like being funny. I'm like, yeah. They're like, you're so stupid. I was like, w-. I literally was like, hey, you guys.
0: These guys are so funny. And they're
1: like, no, this is a terrible business. You'll work on this movie, and then you won't have gone. You'll have, you won't have college education. You can't get a job, and you'll have a stupid. You'll be a, a you know mold shop jerk from from. I said yeah but it's Star Wars. <laughs> and so they tried everything they could to talk me out of it and I just thought they were teasing. All right. You know 20 years later I'm like, "Oh no, oh, they were serious." Um Oops. So I, I got the job. I went into Tom Smith's office and he said, well, we don't like to hire you. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I got Creature Shop Technician, which means I kind of did everything, which was great. That's great. You know, I wasn't... I want to play with all the toys. Yeah, the business, the, the Creature Effects business had only just started to get specialized. Like everybody, you know, the Rick Bakers and the Dick mm-hmm. Smiths, the guys were one or two guy shops. Like you did everything. You did the design, the sculpting, the molding, the casting, the painting, the and then the application. So I had kind of been a self-taught guy to do all that. I, pro- I wasn't good at any of it, but I was capable. And they just needed a grunt. Like mm-hmm. um, The thing is, and I'd forgotten this, so I was telling this story to Brett. Um, that same week that I called Joe and he said, do you want to work, uh, you know, who told you? And I said, yeah, I want to come up. Rob botine called me, who I'd met. This is my weird life. It was like timing and, and location. Uh, they were filming Humanoids from the Deep on my street that I grew up on in Van Nuys. So I was like... Probably 15, 16. So after Star Wars had come out. And there's the big movie trucks parked, like literally in front right. of my house. And this big bearded guy gets out with like a Preacher of the Black Lagoon suit. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, so I run down the street to the neighbors and I'm looking. And, and this big, pretty affable guy was Rob Bottin. I'm like, hey, what are you guys making? Ah, oh, we're making a movie. And Rob was like six foot four, and he kind of talked like he was kind of a big guy with a big voice, sort of like you know, um, breathing under gravy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit like um, what's his name, the guy who played uh, the werewolf, the original werewolf, um, Lon Chaney Jr. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh hey man. So I was like, yeah, what? You know, he had long hair and a beard, and I was I had long hair. I'm like, what do you guys? You know, what's from the deep? I'm like, oh, cool. What do you do? Are you in the suit? He's like, no, I helped make it. You know, I work with Rick Baker. and I'm like. Well, what's your name? Rob Bottin. Hey, I said, can I, can I talk to you or can I have your numbers? Like, oh, sure. Like, he wasn't famous yet. I think he did the howling, like, the next year. So I had Rob's number. So I had been talking to him, too, about, like, you know, I saw the howling. I, uh, Rob let me drive out to his house in Monrovia, and I saw the the howling stuff. And he, you know, he was a super nice guy because we're hmm. all Fex nerds. And, and again, there is no there there at that point. There's no schools. No. There's no big, uh, you know, uh, Excitement about creature effects at that point, except for the know, individual. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, there was Fangoria magazines and a Fantastic, mm-hmm. and kind of you know in, uh, very niche marketed magazines. I think Starlog was out too. So I met Rob. So that same week, he called me. He's like, "Oh, hey man, uh, how's it going? I, I, you know, I just called you because I'm starting up this movie. I'm, I'm doing a remake of the thing." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" And he's like. Yeah, yeah, I need crew on it. I know you gotta make stuff. And, and uh, you know, if you wanna come work on it, you know, I'll be glad to have you. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I just, I, I, I think I'm gonna go work on, you know, Jedi or, or whatever. What, the right new whatever. Star Wars yeah. movie it didn't have a name. He's like, oh, yeah, with Phil and Ken and those guys, Chris Wallace. I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a better gig. I mean, it's Star Wars. I love those guys. Like, you know, and he knew all of them and they knew Rob. He was only like two or three years older than me. Um, but he had been Rick Baker's like apprentice. Right. Uh, Rick had kind of taken him in, in his way. mentor. So anyway, so I'd forgotten that weird little detail of my life. When you're like, man, I don't know what I did. I think I was a you know a very good person you in were my just previous life. Stardust here, kept like falling in my, you my lap. Yeah,
0: have the luck. So yeah, I went
1: from almost the thing to 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 Star Wars or to Jedi. I
0: mean, both have like their niches because the thing again, like one of the number one rated horror films of all time. I mean it's like a there yeah. chainsaw okay, yeah. and all
1: the rest of them. Yeah. So and of course well, especially Jedi for creature effects. On. It was one of those movies yeah. where um, it's funny because I had uh, dinner with Adam Doward. He who's an amazing creature builder, who lives mm-hmm. here in, in uh, Denver, and uh, he said, Oh yeah, you should have taken uh, <laughs> you should have taken the thing. I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. I've thought about it. Trust me, I've gone, did I make the right move? I'm like having Return of the Jedi on your resume at 19 Opened I, I, yeah, a lot of doors, even for stuff that wasn't creature stuff. like doors open. Obviously, you know, you're really good at you're something. You're somebody. You're somebody. Or you're something we should mm. meet with. Uh, so, yeah. So that was my first year in the business, which was already 40, 42 years ago. That's uh And I can still remember my name. Um, well, you know. What's that it's, now? It's still early. What's that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> So then I went on from that to... Uh, so I became friends with Chris Whalas. I did a couple little jaunts on other movies at ILM. Right. I worked on Star Trek's 2 and 3. I helped make the c Seti Was it c Seti eel... Worm eels? Whatever those were. Oh! The earworm, the ear bugs. things in our ears, in our ears yeah. I helped sculpt... I'm <laughs> uh, sorry. I helped,
0: Alpha 6. CD
1: Alpha, yeah. I helped mold and cast those and paint them, and then... Uh, on 3, I actually helped build the the Klingon lizard dog. There's there's some name for it in Star Trek fandom. We just called him, I think, Fluffy or... or yeah. Fluffy's and then a I name. puppeteered him. So I was on set. There's a picture of me in Cinefex magazine, uh, whatever the Star Trek 3 issue. One of us, me in a Tyvek suit with the worms that came out of the coffin. I'm wearing Tyvek because the slime was just dripping off the methicel. And then I was under the seat puppeteering his dog that whole, like, for three days Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd, yeah. It was great. He and John Laroquette, I'm like, wow, they just cast comedic, or comedic actors as uh, Klingons. But John Laroquette never broke. And he was very committed. Well, and Chris Lloyd, too, he would not be really? funny. Yeah, not during takes or even a, a blooper. He was very intense. Um, you know, so you just didn't kind well, of... Well, I mean, I mean, looking at Lloyd, he does look rather method. He looks very... I get, yeah, I didn't... I was so low on the totem pole. I never talked to him. I just, you know, I think I was like, you know, like, I'm going to move the dog's head like this. He's like, all right, you know, because he's, he's stroking it, you know, and he's thinking. So that was my Star Trek III, uh, you know, I worked on that for a few months. And then I went over... Chris Wales had left ILM and started his own shop. And then he did Gremlins 1, and I designed their paint jobs and their eyes and painted them. Painted a lot of them and kind of set up the the paint shop and the mold shop, right. and did some puppeteering um, on one, which was uh, basically the the movie theater scene and the bar scene where we had tons of gremlins. Right. So I Oplen spent, being thrown I spent two or three sleeping. days <laughs> on on my knees with Phoebe Kate's belly button in my face because the gremlins are like so you're down on the floor and you're going right. I think I had two, and and she's like trying to serve them and we shot. Hours and hours, and I think it's like 45 seconds. Yeah, I was gonna to say that... that's like barely where she's just yeah, trying to like take their orders Yeah, and all so I'm of that. the two gremlins in front of her. So I'm down there on a monitor, you know, doing that. Um, and then after that, I started doing rock videos with David Fincher, who was my best friend at ILM. Like, we were the two youngest guys there. And we started a little rock video company, and we did um, a Rick Springfield video called Bop 2 Drop, mm-hmm. where I designed this big alien lizard, and I wore the suit, and I kind of production designed the whole thing. And then we did a, a, like six Rick Springfield videos for a album. It was a video album, concept album called Beat of the Live Drum. Yeah. And we did these, what was it, that plus five others, I guess. That was like nine months of just doing rock videos up in San Francisco. And then I moved back to uh, L.A. to study computer animation because I'd been watching what was happening on LM. It was already changing. Yeah, and just seeing uh, the Pixar guys, which was like John Lasseter and like six computer like tech guys. And I would go in there and they let you, play. I mean, that's the thing, being kind of young mm. and curious, everyone likes to show you what they're doing, especially if like you're, you're not some kid from the outside, you're okay. in the inside circle, so yeah, let's show you. And they let me play with basically what Photoshop was before it was Photoshop, just like a mat, it was a matte painting thing where you could pick a little box and that was the color and you could paint with it. Wow. So I said, I gotta go learn computer stuff because this is gonna take over. Came back to UCLA, was there for another quarter, and uh, but I was in so the at animation. this point
0: you've only done two semesters.
1: Done, I <laughs> <hadn't>, yeah, yeah, <laughs> college was not for me. Obviously, I was so smart; I already knew everything. Um, so I went to the uc So what I learned was, if you're in the animation department, you can hold a camera, you can touch cameras, and you can learn about computer animation. Oh, so instead of just being an English major or whatever or film major that didn't get to touch film. And the instructor, Dan, said, as long as you could have animated opening credits, and you could make a feature film if you wanted, as long as there's animation. And it was like, I found the loophole. So I started there, and during that semester, someone from Paramount came around and said, uh, actually, the, the TD, the technical assistant or TA at the animation department said, hey, someone from Paramount called. They're looking for an assistant for Leonard Nimoy, who knows special effects and filmmaking. And everyone there knew I'd just come from ILM and done the movies I'd done. And he said, you sound like that's a perfect gig for you. Do you want me to get in contact on guests? So compress that story. I met with Leonard Nimoy. We had lunch. He was great. Just the nicest guy. We mm. really hit it off. And he, he asked me, like, what kind of movies do you like? You know, what you know, what have you done? And, and I showed him, like, the video, the Rick Springfield videos and, and stuff like that and showed him some artwork, whatever. He's like, on. Oh, he said what I want in this job is someone who knows that side of the process, because he's an actor, and he knew, yeah. like, script and story and acting, but he did not know... He knew the, his
0: limitations.
1: Yes, and he wanted someone in his team. He felt, on Star Trek 3 he'd been told what they wanted to tell him, and right. he didn't have someone in his camp who could go... E- even the producers, you know, because everyone's sort of like, uh, especially that was his first movie, so I think... Well, knowing, yeah, everyone's like, no, you can't... You can't Knowing direct. the business like I know now, first... Yeah, it's not that he couldn't direct. It's like, well, we're not going to just let him run free, right? right. So. So anyway, I got the job because I was almost genetically engineered for that job. I, I told him I just left ILM. I know all the people you worked with. I worked on three, and I told him I was on set, and so he hired me. So I moved back to LA. I'd already been back to go to UCLA, so I left UCLA again, and then worked on Star Trek, uh, four for like almost two years. The journey home. Yeah, the journey. Uh, uh, yeah, no voyage, voyage home. Voyage home, pardon? Yeah, voyage that's all right. The one with the whales. Sorry, Star Trek. As everyone people. knows it, the one with the whales. The whales. Way- uh, there's so then, study. I mean, we I could do a whole the... interview about yeah. that. But anyway, I got to be an associate producer. I wrote dialogue. Some of the Easter eggs people don't know. I, I wrote and am the voice of the computer at the beginning, who says, who said logic says it's not a matter of, what is it? Oh, yeah. Who said logic is the matter of our civilization, which is uncast using Rezard guide, correct, correct. So I recorded, originally it was Leonard and Harv Bennett, who was lovely, who was the producer, and uh, he and Nick Myers wrote the script. Harv said... I need a bunch of technical questions, and I know you love this stuff, and you're kind of a science nerd. So just I am. here. He, he, write, write questions that, you know, or Star Trek, but also just, you know, physics and, and all that. So I wrote like 30 questions, and they picked whatever, 12 or 15. Right. And then Leonard said, hey, would you just record these? Because a lot of gobbledygook, and we just need something to play back for me to respond to, so I can say, you know, to your, you know, yeah, to Hoth, matron of Vulcan philosophy. So I wrote the questions and the answers, and Leonard approved them. I don't even know if he changed any. And, uh, but he needed a scratch track. So they just sped me up a little bit, and that's what we used on set. So later in post production, they were going to, you know, have a professional voice actor come in or something. And Leonard's like, nah, just use that. It's fine. So they harmonize it a little bit, and that's my voice. And I wrote those questions. So I could technically say, Hard Bennett, Nick Mayer's, and I wrote on Star Trek IV. Of course, I don't get any. Which residuals. is impressive. I don't get any re- residuals.
0: Well, no, well, and then it's like, because we were talking about this last yeah, night, because John Larroquette, going yeah. back, is the voice? Yes, which I didn't know for the announcer. The, the opening opening narration for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When he we
1: had to been twenty.
0: Yeah, he was I mean, all those super guys young. Were super he was young. just yeah, he all was just coming out. It was, yeah. and he's just like,
1: I get residuals from it every once in a while. Because not get residuals from Star I, Trek. Well, and the reason is, I get residuals for the song. So I went on, and there was the punk bit, and I went to Leonard. and I said, "Hey, can I play the punk?" He said, "Let me think about it." A week later, I said, "Yes, you can do it." I said, "You will not regret this." I had punk hair in, in like my first year of college, so I knew a gal who could give me a, an actual mohawk. So I did all that and kind of designed my costume. And I remember coming to work one day, showing him, and he's like, all right, well, that's, <laughs> that is. My favorite story is we did hair and makeup, did the whole thing back at Paramount just to approve it. Right. Do a little film Concept test. stuff. And so I walk out of the makeup trailer, and Dee, uh, who plays De- DeForest Kelly, and we'll just call him Dee, oh, so, is such a the guy. sweetest guy. He's walking into the trailer. I'm leaving, and I'm all done up, right? And I'm wearing, you know, the leather. You can't see it in the movie. I'm wearing leopard print high tops, like uh, Hort- uh, Converse high tops. Oh, okay. And so Stephen Tyler. Yes. yes. So I'm on the stairs out, coming out of the makeup trailer, and Dee's coming up, and he looks me up and down with that kind of slow kind of thing, and he goes, hey, Kirk. Nice shoes. <laughs> so I busted off. I go, thanks, D. And then when we took some pictures. You know and, that ended up in one of his poems somewhere. Maybe, maybe. He was so sweet. Everyone on that crew. There's a great picture of me that I grabbed when the crew, minus uh, Spock and Kirk, are uh, in front of the bounty of the, where they painted. And I just ran in and just leaned. Like, I think Michelle is holding my, like, Walter's holding my hand. And Michelle's, like, kind of, you know, bracing me. And, you know, this was before I had the mohawk. I had such a blast on that movie. And Leonard let me do everything. Like, he said, you're kind of the voice of the king, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you, you go to meetings, technical stuff, you just make sure, if I need to know anything, you bring it back and you tell me. I trust your opinion on the creature stuff. And, you know, so I had this great job. In fact, Ralph Winter, the name of the punk band that, did, you know, did the song that I wrote and sang, that's the other Easter egg, But uh, it's called The Edge of Etiquette. And Ralph gave me that nickname because I would go to these meetings with like Don Steele, the head of the studio, and Sid Gannis, this is again how weird my, my career was. Sid Gannis was head of publicity at Lucasfilm when we were doing Jedi. And I walked around and talked to everybody. I just wanted to learn how the business worked. And so I was friends with Sid. He ends up running Paramount when we're doing this movie. So I know the head of the studio. Don Steele, I didn't know at all. But anyway, so I'd be in these meetings, and I'd just be me, like, make jokes and not, you know. Yeah. And Ralph goes, I don't know how you get away with it. Beer, you're like the edge of etiquette. Like, you walk the edge of etiquette with the st- the jokes you say that no one else could get away with. He said, because you're Leonard's guy, and, you know, and you're a kid, so you kind of have that. Well, he's young, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. He doesn't know any better. Yeah, I said, yeah, I'm like the court jester. Like, he was just a boy. Well, I, I said, he, he said, now hey, we can't fire you because you're Leonard's employee. I'm like, I didn't know that. Like, he hired me out of his own pocket. I was oh, paid wow. through Paramount, but it that. was through his, it was came out of his salary. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so that was Star Trek. I mean, I could, again, talk about that yes. for hours. But it was great. And then I met Jim Henson. And then that was... That's, I mean,
0: because yeah. there... We were talking about it, and I want to bring it up because there's people that have met Jim Henson, and they're yeah. like, "This was like the most, like, touched by an angel moment <laughs> yeah. that they can contribute to their career." Like yeah. Jim was just so unique yeah and and just his He's an actual he was an artist his yeah. overall presence was yeah. that of creation yeah and i loved his philosophy if you don't know how to end a skit just blow it up <laughs> yeah. and very... i i to my <laughs> to the rest
1: of my days that is how i approach things all right what's the ending monty python same thing yes. as like, just have a steamroller um he was great so i met him through the star trek connection a company that bid on doing effects for Trek 4 was called Omnibus Able, and a gal who was their kind of front person who would go and say, hey, you should consider you know, using us, um, uh, her name was <laughs> BJ Rack, and it turned out she'd been married to, she'd, she was divorced at this point, but she was married to uh, Jim Frawley, who directed the first Muppet movie. I know, it's like six degrees of Muppets. So... She and I would go out uh, after Star Trek was in the canon. It was just post, and I was kind of, you know, had a lot of free time. Um, she would say, "Hey, do you want to go with me to a meeting and try and be like the, you know, art director, production designer for commercials and stuff?" And, and we just had a ball doing that. Right. So we became friends, and I showed her some stuff I was doing on my own, like a weird puppet creature show. And she goes, "You know, you, you should meet this Jim Henson." I'm like, "I'd love to meet Jim Henson." Uh, about four guys who worked on Jedi came off of Dark Crystal. So I just heard stories about him, and they were all saying what a lovely guy he was. And, you know, I loved the creature stuff he'd done, and I loved the Muppets and and Sesame Street. I was kind of just aging out of Sesame Street when it came on. I was like six, but I loved the puppets and Mm -hmm. I loved the comedy. So I said, I'd love to meet Jim Henson. So she brokered that meeting, and that summer, uh, before Star Trek had come out, or it was either the summer of that, which was what, 86, 87? It all blends together. I think I might have. Anyway, I met Jim. And he was staying at the Beverly uh, Hills, not the Beverly Hills Hotel, the um, Bel Air oh, the, Hotel. The Bel Air. Bel Air Hotel. And I went and had lunch with him, and I brought my portfolio and showed him all the stuff I'd done and talked about you know, Star Trek and Gremlins. And uh, he was just so lovely. He didn't act like he was a famous person at all. He had this very mellow kind of, he was like a beatnik. And he didn't have, I mean, he was Kermit. He talked like er- Ernie on Downers. I said it was like, Kermit on Quaaludes. <laughs> Oh, okay, that's neat, you know. And he was there's no artifice. He was completely genuine. He had his beautiful energy and just super, like, he looked at all my stuff and his like his comments were like, "Oh, that's neat. That's lovely," you know. Those were his kind of cool, his his words for he wasn't scratch phrases. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. Oh, that's lovely. He laughed like Ernie. He kind of laughed like. <laughs> Um, so then we walked around we had lunch went back to his bungalow with his assistant and then we walked around the the grounds and just talked I remember he asked me what I thought of uh, Labyrinth had just come out Mm. so maybe that will tell us what year this was Uh, you know that summer or whatever and he asked me what I thought of. Him. I said, well, I, you know, Dark Crystal is amazing looking, but the story was kind of hard to follow. He goes, yeah, that's why we had a girl, and, you know, the Jeopardy was real. It's not like the flarks are going to eat the blurbs, and then the crystal will explode, and then the Narnies don't get their flower." and you're like, it's interesting, but... A whole lot of Fern like, Gully in between. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of distance, so... And that's why he did that, and I said, you know, it, it was better, but I didn't really feel the... You know, I gave him an honest opinion, and he took it in. He said, yeah, you know, that was kind of what we heard <laughs> with the notes we got back. There's a whole story about the making of that movie from the people who worked on it. And, you know, George Lucas was a producer on it. Right. And Jim just felt that he had a huge hit on his hands. And George just said, well, you know, this and this and this. And uh, I think Jim was like, no, it's my movie. And George was like, yep, yeah, it's your movie. I Just, you know, here's my thoughts. And, and and from what I was told from people who were there during the production, because I was not, um, was that Jim was like, no, I, I'm pretty sure this is my home run. And it was not. So, uh when I met him, people who knew him at the you know, worked with him for 15, 20 years said he was kind of in a in a down, like a little down. Like right. he you know, made these two movies that he loved, and they hadn't been huge since they weren't Star Wars. So he and I started working on a couple projects that he wanted to do, uh, not films, TV series for kids, or you know, right. uh, and uh, like a Muppet thing. And uh, I ended up working, uh, getting hired by the company, working on um, uh, the Jim Henson Hour. And went to New York, moved to New York, and then was in uh, Toronto, Canada for half the time uh, doing that show. And I had this job again. Jim being this art, he hired artists first. I heard from two other guys who were conceptual artists. He would hire artists first before he hired writers. And you would just talk about neat stuff, you know. Like there was one time we joked that, and it was seriously considered to call the Jim Henson Hour "Jim Henson's World of Neat Stuff," because that's really what it was. Yeah. And so he would just go, well, you know, I always thought it'd be fun to do a thing about bugs, and you know, like maybe like. You know, snails or shooting bugs, you know, whatever. Well, storyteller. I mean, I mean, I I could just see you guys. But that was Anthony Mangella. Like, he had an amazing writer with that. And he had amazing visualists at the Creature Shop. So, anyway, they were doing storyteller while we were developing this. So, I got to go to England and see all that, and it was amazing. Met Anthony Mangella and a lot of the Creature Shop guys. Right. So, uh, Jim Henson Hour didn't do very well on, on. NBC because people thought Storyteller was British like it was good for you <laughs> and the Muppets just kind of didn't have I don't know they kind of lost their mojo. I remember Jerry Jewell who was the head Muppet writer just I, I mean sadly he's not with us anymore, but Everyone was kind of lamenting that Jim wasn't 100% there. Mm. He was they just said that I guess at Labyrinth not being a success had sort of affected him creatively he just well, that, Jerry that, just that like he was just has trying... so many issues. I mean, even just like behind the scenes stuff. Which one, and, uh, um, Labyrinth? Yeah, yeah,
0: Labyrinth, yeah. So many. I, yeah. Just it was a huge undertaking. Yeah. Yes.
1: So uh, anyway, it wasn't well received. Um, I think they delayed even airing it. I, I and Jim wanted me to stay in New York, and it's expensive. And he was going to keep paying me even though there was no show. I said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to LA. New York's expensive. I appreciate it. Get back to yeah, yeah. I'm gonna try to see like it. I didn't this time. I went back to LA. uh, So this was uh, middle of '88, right? Or '89? It was '89. And I got two great gigs. I worked on Robocop Two with Phil Tippett, who was my mentor back at ILM on the Creature Shop. And I worked for about three or four months on that until I broke my finger. But I, I designed and built the brain case that's pulled out at the end and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. And the tank that's in the middle of the where the, his, his brain head eyeballs with the eyeballs watching. Yes. So I designed and built that. Well, I almost built it and I broke my finger and couldn't finish it. But other people did, so that was cool. Um, and then went back and started working at Walt Disney Imagineering as an Imagineer uh, contractor, a uh, freelancer, or not. Mm-hmm. And I was working on a redo of Tomorrowland that held these creatures and a consultant on Muppet rides they were going to do. Because at that point, Disney was going to buy the that Muppets.
0: That contract and
1: that huge battle that ensued Yeah, Yes, so the later. battle hadn't started yet. Yep. So I was there, and other guys were working full time on the Muppet rides, and I was consulting. And mainly working on this this redo of the Carousel of Progress was going to be a crash spaceship with an alien carnival. And it was really fun. And as that was going, I was Jim uh, flew me out to New York, and he wanted to brainstorm this idea. A, a couple ideas, but one was this thing called Dinosaurs. It was the Dinosaur Project. And so, again, he brought me in first before he brought in writers or anything. And Disney was going to do this thing, so ABC was going to make it. And uh, he just—we talked about dinosaurs and like what would be a family. Like the thing is a riff on a sitcom, but the whole thing is about dinosaur thinking, like a, a parody or a parable of where we are today. Like we can do anything we want. We're right. the biggest apex predators on the planet. You know what we say goes. So I started designing characters—the mom, the dad, and the baby—and all that. And then and just what the look of it was because we didn't want hyper-real. And Ninja Turtles, the, the company had been doing the Ninja Turtles movies, and they kind of perfected this—you know—animatronic uh, face thing on an actor. So, we knew it would be people in suits. So, I started designing disorders, kind of of that. And then I came back to LA, I did a bunch of drawings, and I flew back again. And I had a meeting with him on a Friday where he we went over the drawing. We had lunch and talked about the drawings, and kind of he's like, mm, I like that, that's neat. And I remember during the, the lunch or afterwards, we just kind of shot the breeze for like half an hour because we were friends at this All point. Right. Uh, he kind of was like, he sniffled a couple times. I was like, you, you got it. the call? He's like, oh, I just, you know, the sniffles, went, you know, goes away. Okay, cool. So we had this meeting and, you know, hugged goodbye. And, and I stayed in New York that weekend to see friends because I'd lived there, you know, a couple of years before. And I'd, yeah, I'd go hang out my haunts and just enjoy New York. So I flew home Monday. And Tuesday morning, I got a call at like 5 or 6 a.m. And it was Kevin Clash. And he's like, hey, Kirk. And you can you immediately, when you hear that tone, it's like, hey, um, Jim died last night. I'm like, what? I was like. Wait, what? He said Jim Jim died last night. So, said, was he in a car accident? I saw him on Friday. Yeah. He's like, no, just well, we don't him. we don't know. He had some disease that like, killed him and he just passed away last night. Like he was in the hospital for two days and I was like It doesn't make any sense. Okay. So I immediately booked a ticket and flew back to New York. And which everybody, anyone had worked with him for more than a year, just we all converged. Right and, you know, just got hotel rooms. I stayed at, uh, at Jim's assistant's boyfriend's house because, or I guess they were living together. I stayed at their place and we all just converged for that week in shock and had that big funeral that everyone went to and just sat around for like seven to 10 days hugging each other and crying and just being what going to happen? Wow. Um, and so came back to L.A. where they had moved. They, they had offices now in L.A. that were going to be under. They were actually in Disney building. And Disney, the Disney deal hadn't been killed yet, but ABC wanted to see projects. So uh, the company hired um, uh, Michael Jacobs and Bob Young, who had done Charles and Charge. No, sorry, my two dads. Okay. And they came in, and we had a meeting with them, showed them the drawings that I would started, and talked about this idea with Alex Rockwell, who was Jim's uh, assistant and kind of development person. And so they went off and started writing, and then I did develop the drawings into kind of what they looked like. And we pitched it to ABC, and they bought it. And that was the beginning of Dinosaurs. And this is where I started writing. i had been writing ideas and scripts on my own. But Michael Jacobs, to his credit, said, you've got, because I was there brainstorming the show. He said, you've got great ideas. You, you should be a writer on the show. And I'm like, I would love that, because I know I'm not going to be designing characters every week. It's um, So I it was a writer who designed characters. So, when anytime a new character came in, I would do the sketches and work with a creature shop who were all brought over, were about half were brought over from London. Right. Because I knew them from working. The, and anyway, so that was three or four years of my life. And then I started writing Muppet movies uh, with Jerry Jewell and did Muppet Treasure Island, which, which is a classic. Thank you. Oh my love, God. Well, and
0: that came about. Tim Curry? Are
1: you freaking crazy? Billy crazed? Conley? Billy Conley who Jen Saunders, His yeah. stand up is just. Oh, I, love, I love Billy. I've oh. got a great, I I got a great Billy Connolly story. So we wrote this movie, and I said we have to get Billy Connolly to be Billy Bones. We wrote him with kind of a Scottish brogue. And and most of the people didn't know who Billy Connolly was because it was Americans. And so in the read-throughs, when you would read the script just with the puppeteers and just, you know, with the execs, I always do was Billy, like, oh, Jimmy, Jim, 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 Jim. And so, you know, it it kind of worked. So Billy came. We cast him, luckily enough. And he wasn't a big movie star at that point. He was famous, but yeah. a, particularly in the U.K., but yet, yep. doing a movie. He hadn't made it out here yet. He loved the Muppets. He loved comedy. And so he did the read-through of one of the puppeteers. And obviously, American came up to me afterwards. and goes, he sounds just like you. <laughs> I, just, I was like, no, I was doing him for the whole time because I, I we wrote it for him. So that was an amazing experience. But it was my reaction to Christmas Carol, which is well-beloved. It's the most beloved after the Muppet movie. Uh, Treasure Island's down like third or fourth. Uh, really? Yeah, that low? I know. It depends on your age. If you're if you're kind of between probably 28 and 40 now, or 38, it's Treasure Island's your favorite movie. Okay. I will fight for. It. I think it's I think it's up there with Christmas Carol at least in part. But it was my reaction to like Christmas Carol was so sweet and so lovey and charming and twee, which is fine. But to me, The Muppets were Monty Python, and I want to do a Monty Python pirate movie. So I'm like, so Let's the first the script, Muppets. Was, yeah, exactly. To me, The Muppets were Monty Python mm-hmm. with puppets. Um, so. It was, the first drafts were even more insane than what was there, but the, we got to keep, like, Mr. Bimbo, and the cabin fever was like, in the middle of the movie when I was a kid, I'm bored out of my mind. Nothing's happening. You're, you're developing plot and character, and you're just like, you know, thank God there's no romance. Because, again, if you're 10, 12 years old, you're like, oh, I uh, yeah. if he gets the girl. Middle of the second act. Yeah, of... and again, this is the perspective of a 12-year-old boy. I'm sure 12-year-old, 13-year-old girls were like, oh, I won't gets the girl. I didn't care, and I said, it's boring, so we have to do something really crazy and fun to kind of keep that m- middle the from energy. sagging. Right. So I said, you know, in the book, there's a thing where they're called, I think cast and irons, which means there's no wind for a couple of weeks. It's maybe half a, or half a page or a page of saying, you know, there's kind of this, this crew's getting antsy. We're not going anywhere. I said, it's like cabin fever. I said, let's write. So in the script we said they do a song called cabin fever about they're going mental. They're literally going crazy. And then we had this amazing songwriters, Barry and Cynthia, who wrote, like the, the, uh, on Broadway, and all these Michael, they'd written tons of songs that were huge hits. And they came in, and Barry was a guy from Brooklyn who, <laughs> his first song was like, who put the bomb in the bomb shub bomb thing? So he just had this like, and he, and then Cynthia's wife was this very elegant, kind of New York literati, like, you know, very poised. And she wrote the lyrics. And the two of them are like chocolate you couldn't have been more different, but what an amazing combination. So they wrote all those songs, but Cabin Fever was just, and he loved that kind of jokey, kind of, you know, run, 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 you know tin pan alley, yeah. uh, 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 vaudeville. So it, it was great. I love that movie and I'm very proud of it. And uh, so we did that and then I started directing a little bit here and there. And then, yeah, and then I moved in. So now we're about like the late 90s. Um, that's just the, the late 90s. <laughs> 20 I mean, years. This is the first 20 another years. Another 20 years going. Holy moly. Yeah, sorry. if We need to so, wrap yeah, it up. Let's,
0: no, no yeah, but I want to get another point. Yeah, yeah, please. I need to fast forward. Yes. Because you... <laughs> the... <laughs> so anyway, what was so anyway, your question? And then there was that one time with Harry Anderson. <laughs> um, yes! Oh, that's right. Because we had this conversation. We were watching... Texas chainsaw masking together. Talking over the movie like Holding jerks. hands and just being assholes. And because. Well, we, one of us was. Um, I was charming. You were you were a peach. Thank you. Georgia peach. Anyway. Georgia peach. So, because we, we went down the rabbit hole of John Larroquette.
1: Yes. Oh,
0: that's right. That's and the new night court, yep. which Larroquette comes back as Fielding. Fielding, but now he's the judge, yeah. You know? No, well, he, oh. he, that's how they end the first season. Oh. It's Harry's daughter right. who is That's the judge. True. I haven't watched And this, she so... goes and recruits Fielding to help her. Right. So there was that whole story because Harry Anderson, in, in real life, has passed away. Yes. In fact, I think Harry, Marky, and Mac, yeah. our three, have yeah. passed away. Yeah. So the crew is kind of lean yeah, yeah. in regards For to the who's the still around. the stars of the show, yeah. Right. But Harry Anderson was a tremendous... Con man. Yes. He was a flam man. He was a flim-flam man. He was
1: slight yeah. of
0: hand. but And he had his own show.
1: He had his own show. And he would do a live stage show, and that's how I met him. So I built puppets for Jay Johnson, who was the puppeteer on uh, Soap. Yes. Jay and he had what was the, his the, name? The, yeah. the, the, uh, Danny. No. 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 Danny. Uh, anyway, anyway. i think of it. You know, we drank too much last night. We did I drink really, a lot last I night. I mean, but don't kids? Just say no. Just to drinking with guys like us. Yes. Um uh, Bob, Jan Bob. Yeah, there we go. I knew I'd remember it. <laughs> 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 Texas Chainsaw Brain. Um, so I built some puppets for him. Uh, that was a side job I was doing when I was a kid, when I was in my in high school years. I had, you know, I was that's the kind of stuff I was doing before I started. On right. And then, and when I came back to L.A. to L.A. and was at doing whatever jobs like Star Trek, I would do the stuff on the side. So. I met Harry through Jay and became friends with Harry as well. And he would do these Halloween shows, and so Jay called me up one day and said, "We're doing Harry Anderson sideshow, which is a TV special, mm-hmm. and I want to have the world's biggest ventriloquist puppet." I'm like, "Okay, do you want to build it?" I'm like, "Sure, <laughs> why not?" So this character of Hick Hickory um, came up, and I did the drawings and designed him. And he's just kind of a big, you know, Mortimer Snurd type, but he's like six foot six. If he were standing up, sitting down, he's like five ten. I mean, really long legs and lanky. So I designed and built this puppet. I didn't do the wardrobe; that's not my thing. Right. So I built this huge puppet, and he's in the special with with Harry and Jay. So I got to go watch him film for a day, and and became friends with Harry, and then would hang out with him. When Jay was gonna go do anything with Harry with a group, I'd tag along. They had a a magician's sort of. They called the Left Handed League, and it still might exist where. I was an honorary member of the Left-Handed League, which was basically con men, flim, flim. Mm-hmm. Not really con men, they weren't conning people, but doing that kind of vaudeville, slide early burly, sleight of hand, early, slide of mm-hmm. hand magic, and, and ventriloquism was a part of it, and they do these haunted, these Halloween shows at, at Comedy Magic Club. So anyway, that's how so I had built the world's largest ventriloquist puppet, which now resides at the Vent Haven Museum in Kentucky. Where you can go see it and pay the nominal fee of like ten dollars yeah, for the honor. worth the trip. Now you can say you know who built him, which will get you nothing, nothing. really. Yeah.
0: But Not you know, cheap. a better better
1: selfie with it. There you go.
0: <laughs> tag me. <laughs> Always tag me. Just... Yeah, then, I want to go. And, get and it leading into Halloween. Yes. Oh right, yeah. Okay, so Two Halloween things. We're gonna show them tomorrow. We're gonna we're gonna show it tomorrow. Um, but I have an absolute love of man thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Growing up, yeah. Growing up, one of the most misunderstood creatures. Yeah, well, that was And you get to work on Werewolf by Night, which yes. I think was an absolute inventive and creative way to approach that character, yeah. the The way it was shot. Yeah. Because how do you do Werewolf by Night from Marvel Comics in oh. an established boom, World, glitz, yeah, clamor, yeah, yeah. and all of this? You guys go black and white yeah. and kind of pay homage to... Universal Monster style.
1: Yeah, well, that all came from Michael Giacchino, who okay. who I met. He scored uh, Muppet uh, Wizard of Oz, which I did in two thousand and five. We became friends because we're both movie and comic book nerds and everything. So we became like best friends. I like, think we hang out all the time. And so he'd been scoring Marvel movies and Pixar movies and Star Wars movies and Star Trek movies. So he's the new John Williams. I mean, right. I'm not the person to say first person to say that. Um, and so he'd been talking with Marvel about directing. And so, because I'm in the inner circle, I knew what he was doing, and about a year and a half before we started shooting, when it wasn't even a go-project, they were working on the script, he goes, I've got a character I'd like you to play. I said, okay, what's his name? He goes, I can't tell you. What does he do? I can't tell you. I said, okay, well, what, uh, okay, thanks for telling me. When, when, <laughs> I appreciate when, the no when info. are we shooting? I don't know, I don't know what's <laughs> gonna get made. We're just on the script. but..." He said, just don't shave your beard and work on your Scottish accent. That's all he said. I'm like, okay. Okay. So for a year and change, that's, I mean, I let my beard grow to, you know, really big. And I worked on my Scottish accent. I, And working with, knowing Billy was a good start. Um, so I didn't know anything about it until, I mean, it was called where At that point, I knew it was Werewolf uh, by night. Right. And I'd seen images of my wardrobe, and I'd done a wardrobe thing, but I didn't, know, I didn't know about Man-Thing or anything. Right. So two days before I fly to Atlanta to start shooting, I'm like, can you at least give me my line? I mean, I just don't want to be a jerk and just be reading him on the first day. He goes, all right. So they sent me a PDF that like expired in two hours. Like it was, a, you know, oh, my God, type, so mission
0: impossible. Yes,
1: I had to type in a code <laughs> and it was like, you know, it was red letters on black paper or, you know, black background. So you couldn't like take it was very, very it was like working with the CIA and I read the script, or at least my pages. Right. So I'm like, okay, so I have like 12 lines, but I kinda knew, and and he did tell me I would have a great death, so he did tell me you that. You did have a great death. He, and he told me you that before like I said, a, you champ. I'm, I'm gonna kill you in the movie. I'm like, yeah, well, you're my friend. I, that's what I always want. I, you just, can't kill your friends, yeah. Well, kill me, He said, please. but it'll be memorable, okay. So I went there, and to, to my panic, the first day of shooting was my big scene with, um, yeah, with, um... Elsa Bloodstone? No, with, uh... Oh, I'm blanking his name. My first big scene with him where he meets me and I'm like, oh, I ain't a mad bastard, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Any of these Haken monsters. So that was the first day of shooting. And I'm with professional actors who've done this for years. British actors, which are the most intimidating. Right. Uh, So, anyway... Uh, being me, I ad libbed a little bit, <laughs> and uh, no, uh-uh. I know I just kind of added some character to the character, not to get more lines, but just to make him kind of more interesting, or at least, yes, thank you, Gael, Gael Garcia Bernal. There we go. Um, sorry, man, it's early in the morning. It's still early. It's like six in the a.m. in the morning. So early. Yeah, so, early. <laughs> so early. I mean, we have to be. We cramps. were up till three last night, so only four hours oh. of sleep. Not three. If hours. we can't even do math. No. Anyway, so. Uh, Gael is there and I'm throwing just little bits in like, you know, mad bastard and like, you know, this place one of the lines that was cut, that was in the script was like, it's quite a place he's got here and then I added, a, he's got a solid gold kludgy which is Scottish for toilet and so it kind of threw him off, so anyway we got through the scene and uh, the next day Mike, I said, okay, how was it and the editor came up to me, because Michael's my friend you know your friends won't say, oh you're great they'll yeah. be like, yeah, you do. Yeah, 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 we don't have to reshoot it and I asked him, I said, did we shoot me the first day? In case I sucked, you could bring someone else in. Because literally the first day of shooting, it's my biggest scene. Uh, you know, eight lines. Right. Um, and he said, no. But the editor, Jeff Ford, who's amazing, uh, lovely guy, he came up to me and said, yeah, you're great. It came off great. It was really good. But then Michael, being truthful, said, yeah, but guy, I hated working with you. I'm like, really? He said, you, totally, you were always ad-libbing and, and you just you weren't sticking with the script. And I said, he's got to be used to people ad-libbing. He goes, no. He didn't like it. <laughs> but Oops. I said, but it did work for the thing. It, it worked did. for the character. Because he didn't, He was ner- his character was nervous. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know any of these people. And that's what I was trying to drive with my garrulousness. Because I thought, this character doesn't know they're about to go hunt each other. No. I think we're there to honor the sky. It's like basically a, a, a wake. Yeah. So I'm like, oh. And that you're... is
0: how it is built when, when exactly. you walk into the, walk in, so, the room with so all of the hunters. With well,
1: everyone else is being like kind of cagey, which yes. is we're really told. But I'm like, no, I'm gonna be like we're gonna go Errorless. drink, we're gonna become drinking buddies. Yeah. And so then uh then basically I don't have much except you know, dialogue until uh and you two go, lines before for toddling yeah, on I, off with and... No spoiler alerts, but yeah. I have a glorious ending. So glorious. But uh what was funny was so we shot the movie, which is great. I would think I was there. But it was like a three-week shoot, and I was there for two two weeks and two days or something. Only I think the last four or five days I wasn't there. Okay. Um and I went home. So we shot in Atlanta. I went home. And like four or five weeks later, I asked Michael, I said, hey, um, is it okay if I shave my beard? Because I had this big, and it was going to summer, right? right. I'm like, L.A. with a giant beard. is no picnic. Um, he said, yeah, yeah, we're not doing reshoots. We're, we're golden. So I shave it down to what I have now, which is more of a goatee. And two weeks later, I get an email from Marvel saying, hey, um, we're scheduling a reshoot. We're, we're going to do more shooting. And I'm like, oh, God. I said, dude, he's like, it's okay. We can glue more. So the Fill in my beard. So I went back to Atlanta for a a day-long shoot, mostly my scenes. And they were, so I'm like, did I screw up? He goes, no, 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 we're adding scenes with you. Oh, because you were that good. Well, because, well, I was that good at being (laughs) likable. Here's what, so the editor, Michael wouldn't tell me any of this. The editor goes, so we did test screenings, and everyone was really angry that you got killed. Like, everyone was, like, upset. Because they really liked you and they wanted you to stick around or I mean, it, it was disappointing to see you. Yeah. So they said we, they added me being more of an a-hole, like smashing her head. Like the original scene, she, when I see her and I strike at her and Gail, he books out and we fight. Right. She flips me on my back, like kicks me with the paws and then leaves. Or doesn't kick me in the nuts, but whatever. She, she, yeah, puts, she... puts me on my back and just takes off. And then, so people are like, well, that poor guy, Best she bested him. So how bad could he be? And then he gets, you know, the secret the thing that happens. Yeah. yeah. And so they made me a bigger jerk and made me look more scary, which was her smashing her head, going, The stone is mine. And then she leaves. And I'm like, Death is coming for you. Like they added that. Nice. And that was a day of shooting. So that was fun. So I was kind of like, eh, They like me so much the end to make me a bigger jerk. Um, so that was awesome. It was super fun. And it's the first time I've had more than one line. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So we're coming
0: to the end. Yes. I'm sorry. I could sit here, and I'm sure Carol Burnett. That was for
1: my, my cat. Yeah. I don't have kids.
0: Um, <laughs> but I do, before we go. Oliver, use the litter box. The one, I want to go out on Picard. something, because I know, no. as much as I love Picard, there's so many things about Picard that it's its own oh, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, want, I want to dive a little bit deeper into yeah. the Thatcher Oh, (laughs) into the thatch as it were. It's a family show. It is no. It's never been a family show.
1: (laughs) All right, so I can show that I'm not wearing exactly,
0: because I found out something that I found absolutely mind blowing, and I just want to touch on it briefly, because again, this could be its own podcast. You are a huge tiki enthusiast. Yes, yes, enormous.
1: And that's another fat joke. (laughs) Is we're playing to our strengths.
0: Um. So I finally recently went to, to Disneyland, yeah. and I finally got my Piranha Tiki mug. Because oh, nice. every time I go, it's always it's sold, out. Yeah, sold yeah, it's, out. It's tricky. But I got the Jose Tiki mug. Oh, nice. Which is not even on the
1: menu. Oh, I didn't even know there was a Jose. Ho- I've seen it, but I didn't know you couldn't you, order it. You have to just ask for it. Yes, wow. and it's not on the menu. They're, so they're kind like, of totally like, tricky just, with those.
0: Wow. So I'm, I'm sitting there, and I was like, I want to bring Jose to you to, like, get stay? the the tiki gods um you know approval but my my final question for you and then I'm going to let you go
1: and then we've run the clock out we've run it
0: into the ground um your favorite tiki drink what is it i mean are you like
1: a tiki my, master or i mean well, I don't I m- mix your whole I mean, bar is tiki it, i have a huge room that's a tiki room my favorite drink is a honey honey which is a mai tai made with bourbon Ooh. i can drink those till i'm legless <laughs> and there's uh yeah and you just make a mai tai and then you use bourbon instead of rum, or you use, well, I guess, yeah, just instead of two, like a light rum and a dark rum, you just use bourbon. Oh. Oh, it's so good. That sounds tasty. I think my second favorite one would be a, uh, just a regular Mai Tai. Okay. Yeah. So there you go, kids. Now you know what to buy me when you see me at the bar. Yep. Send them a tiki. And if they don't have that, a jalapeno margarita will do.
0: Well, and on that bombshell, we shall say goodbye. Hello. Kirk, thank you so much. In the meantime, run fast, laugh Hello. hard, and always be kind. Good night.
1: Isaac Washington finger gun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Wait, we yeah. have to turn and do that.